to the Next Game Wins podcast. I'm with Warren today. Warren, how are you? Uh, very well, thank you. Today we're going to talk about everything that is video games. There's been lots of news. There's been E3. There's been lots of new announcements, new videos, and new release dates. So yeah, lots to get our teeth into. So Warren, I believe you're going to start us off. Mm. Um, adding to your list of things that have happened, absolutely something that has happened quite a lot recently is uh, acquisitions. Um, obviously, one of the big ones at the moment is Housemark finally being acquired by uh, Sony, mm. uh, which is absolutely fantastic. Obviously, you know all of their titles. Well, the majority of their titles. I know they've got a few on uh, PC, but you know they've they've been a, a, a stalwart supporter of the PlayStation brand for a number of years with you know Resogun and Super Stardust, um, and obviously more recently their uh, PS5 AAA title uh, Returnal, mm. which it, uh, is absolutely stunning. Um, and you know it was on the cards for a while. They're absolutely a fantastic acquisition. Um, I think something interesting which happened around about the same time as that news dropped was that uh, an accidental tweet by PlayStation Japan um, effectively let out the bag that they are also on the cusp of, or were about to announce um, the news of them also acquiring Bluepoint Studios, which are obviously, you know, apart from the 360 Titanfall port, mm. all of their releases have been on PlayStation titles. You know, they've done, um, you know, they've polished up remasters of and remakes of Metal Gear Solid, God of War, Ico, Uncharted, as well as, you know, full from the ground up remakes of um, Shadow of the Colossus and more recently Demon's Souls. Um, so again, that that is a studio which people have long suspected will be acquired. So I think it's more a case of, you know, watch this space with that one. Um, but it would absolutely make sense, as I've said, you know they're absolutely a, you know you know an incredibly talented studio, um, and obviously, like I've said, you know they've they've flown the, the PlayStation banner for a number of years now, so it would make absolute sense. Um, another acquisition by Sony, which for me personally, so was um, the announcement yesterday that they've just recently acquired uh, Nix's um, software. Nix's, mm. I think I'm saying that right. Which uh, a Dutch studio, which. I'll be honest with you, you know, as much as I am a game fan, they were one of these studios which instinctively I couldn't really recall the games they'd worked on. It was a, it was a studio I knew I'd seen um, in various sort of credits pages and, yeah. and you know, and, and things like that. And I, I sort of had to look into them. I was like, where have I seen these guys before? And they're effectively a porting studio, or they have been for many, many years. Uh, one of their first big titles was porting Crystal Dynamics Legacy of Kane Soul Reaver from the PlayStation to the Dreamcast. Um, and a lot of their titles have been collaborations with studios such as, um, you know, IO Interactive. But they've mainly worked with Crystal Dynamics for the past 20 years. They've worked on, you know, uh, the last two Deus Ex titles, bringing them to PC. They've worked more recently on the recent trilogy of Tomb Raider titles. And an article I read yesterday, you know, speculated, given Nix's history in specializing in pc ports is it an acquisition to further bolster playstation's current business model of bringing a lot of their ps4 and indeed ps5 titles to the pc market you know that we've obviously seen it with um what titles we've seen with obviously you know horizon zero dawn uh, and things like that obviously death stranding and it's you know it, it's it's obviously common knowledge that it, it, it's a market playstation are, are quite willing to tap into well, Which, I was, um, it's quite interesting, really. I was going to say, you know, obviously Xbox um, have been very, um, very successful with their, you know, backwards compatibility in terms of their, um, 
you know, Xbox 360 titles, Xbox mm. One titles on the new Series X. So, you know, if we were to operate in speculation, would you think that this is, uh, you know, PlayStation trying to catch up with that very successful backwards compatibility from Xbox? I think it's still very, very early days. Um, it's it's a little unsure, really, at least it is in my eye, to see what PlayStation are hoping to achieve. Obviously, you know, for a long time, being Microsoft-owned, the, the Xbox brand has, you know, absolutely hit the PC and console market in, in quite a streamlined manner for a number of years, and it has been something uh, over the last few years, particularly with Xbox branching away from being particularly a console and more of a, a, an identity or a brand. Mm -hmm. It is something which is just very, very streamlined and very, very organic um, sort of from Microsoft. And I think at this early stage, I, I, I am a little unsure what PlayStation's end goal is. You know, whether or not down the line, as their catalogue increases in number, we'll see a dedicated PlayStation PC marketplace. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think they've quite got the catalogue just yet, unless they were to, you know, release official emulators for previous consoles, in which case they absolutely would have the catalogue. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of dedicated ports, I think it's a little bit tricky at this stage, really, to, to you know, I think they're probably testing the water, if I'm honest. Um, but yeah, it's... Imagine it's Sorry, but I didn't mean to... No, no, I'm just saying, you know, it's, it's exciting times ahead, really. It's, it's an interesting one. I was going to say, you would imagine as well, because of, obviously, Microsoft being one of the, if not the leading operating systems on, on PC mm -hmm. as well, that, you know, you think that... I don't know where the legal uh, standing would be, but you'd imagine that Microsoft would try and make it as difficult as possible for PlayStation to become uh, more of a sort of desktop... Um, sort of uh, yeah desktop software or whatever they end up doing with it if they do go down that route because mm. it wouldn't be in the interest of microsoft to, to sort of help them do that so it'd be interesting to see yeah i mean the, the, there are other parties who i imagine will in the future perhaps more of a partnership with with playstation speculatively you know just thinking you know potentially valve having more of um an area on the you know on the steam page which you know play you know the, the playstation exclusives um you know playstation moving away in a similar fashion to xbox and playstation being uh, a cross platform brand well, um, obviously buy, the, i'm going to say the epic the epic yeah, store as well is too. is yeah, is is obviously another one that they've had dabbles. You know, well, they've they, they dabbled quite with. a lot of of. Um, oh, they bought a lot of shares in yeah, Unreal. Epic, yeah, on the on the back of their um, their UE five PlayStation five um, showcase uh, yeah. quite a number of months ago now. But it's I know they bought some shares around about that time, and they bought some again recently. Mm -hmm. um, so it is it is quite a big share. I forget forget how much it is, but it's it's, it's obviously something that they're yeah. I mean, which is, is quite curious, really, because obviously PlayStation, a lot of their first-party first, per, their first party titles for the past few years, um, you know, from PS2, PS3, PS4, and beyond, a lot of them have used proprietary engines. Yeah. Um, whereas a lot of Xbox titles have used Unreal, for example. You know, I mean, I'm mm -hmm. thinking, you know, God of War and, and things like that. Um, so it's quite interesting, really, for PlayStation to almost future-proof themselves when it comes to, you know, the, the, the text there it works on ps5 um you know it, it, it saves costs in that regard and um, you know it's a it's a tried and, and tested method of, of getting you know incredibly well crafted and, and fantastic looking games out of the out of the door and um, if the if you know the infrastructure in terms of a game engine is sort of there but 
yeah, it's it's all uh, it's all speculation. It's all uh, raises more questions than answers, but isn't that always the way? I know we'll probably touch on it a little bit later, but do you think that you know this this latest spree of acquisitions from PlayStation is a response to the the whole Zenimax Media um, sort of acquisition and, and and how that how well that's played out for Xbox so far? Funnily enough. Um, I was talking to my wife about this. This this is the extent of the exciting conversations that I bring to the relationship. Um, one thing that I've noticed is obviously we, we've seen probably from, was it 2003? Oh, I forget now, when um, Microsoft acquired Rare. And then obviously another big milestone was when they acquired, uh, obviously, Minecraft developer Mojang. And then another big one is obviously, yeah, you know. And they've had quite large acquisition milestones mm. whereas playstation at the moment at least they seem to work very closely with studios on some degree of an exclusive partnership it's not an outright acquisition but it's a very close shoulders rubbing partnership it's an exclusivity deal effectively yeah i mean we've seen it with haven studios we've seen it with a number of other studios who have made these uh, you know, somewhat grand announcements that yes, we're working on an exclusive IP for the PlayStation brand, but they're not necessarily a first-party studio. But then, at the same time, we have seen with PlayStation adopt this as a model for quite a number of years. I mean, it's only in the last few years that they acquired Insomniac, mm -hmm. and now Insomniac have obviously got ties with PlayStation right back to Spyro, and obviously uh, their first-person shooter Disruptor before that, which released yeah. on PS One. Um, so it's an interesting one in that regard. They they Sony seem to want to put studios through their paces mm. and see what they have to offer for a number of years before they take the plunge. Yeah. Um, I get the impression in some regards that that sort of hints at a reluctance to take risks. They absolutely want to invest and acquire studios which have a you know a proven track record of supporting the PlayStation brand and, and releasing titles on the PlayStation consoles which are absolutely you know critically acclaimed and highly regarded. Um, and you know we've seen that with Housemark. Um, again, that sort of going slightly full circle. In some regards, that's why a lot of people, in, and indeed myself, wouldn't be shocked if it would be announced that Bluepoint is their next acquisition. Which, again, you know, due to the uh, the, the the slip up by PlayStation of Japan on Twitter, yeah. all all fingers are certainly pointing in that direction. But um, no, it's 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 an interesting one. They, both Xbox and PlayStation have certainly got very very different. Um, approaches to it. I think obviously both parties understand the necessity of exclusivity. Um, mm. The PC, the, the PC market is its, is its own separate beast at the moment. I mean, Xbox in some regards have got that sewn up, but they've mm. had it sewn up for quite a while, and it's something that they're just refining and they're building upon. PlayStation is still very much dipping their toes in the waters. Um, you know, with with a few key PS4 titles which have been optimised for the PC, but. Um, I think at the end of the day, I mean, it, it always makes me laugh whenever I go on Twitter and, you you, you know, you, you see people who are very much camp, uh, camp PlayStation or people who are very much camp Xbox. Um, and, you know, absolutely nothing wrong with flying the flag for your preferred console. But uh, one thing that I will absolutely say is there's only one winner in this, mm. and it's and it's gamers. You know, at the yeah, end of the day, really. healthy, healthy competition, positive competition is um, absolutely pivotal to uh, driving creativity and people taking risks in the games industry. Completely. Um, I think so it, it might be, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not massively au fait, but it might be, you know, the approaches uh, to acquisitions and, and um, 
growth, I guess, might be the, the very cultural differences as well, because you know you mm. need to remember that you know uh, it's two very different countries where America is very gun ho attitude in terms of capitalism and, and that kind of thing, and you know where Sony might be a little bit more reserved and, and patient is probably the best way to put it. Um, no, but it makes it makes it really interesting, really tasty, as you said. The only winners are gamers, you know. Um, mm. You know, we're seeing some amazing work come out of both sides, and and you know, we're lucky enough to. Well, you own a PS5 and an Xbox Series X. I don't own both just yet, but when I do, you know, I'll be totally, um, totally dipping my toe in both both ponds to get as much as I can out of the uh, the gaming experience that they both have to offer. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I, I go where the games are. Yeah. Um, if it comes to that, you know, it's it's. I don't have my PS5 purely because I'm a massive P- uh, PlayStation fan. I am a PlayStation fan, but I'm also an Xbox fan. Um, yeah. And I think both of both camps have got an absolutely incredible lineup of games. Mm. Um, and people should just go really where the games are. You know, there's, there's no point in you know taking to uh, sort of fanboyism and tribalism and all this. It's it's unnecessary. It really exactly. is unnecessary. <laughs> Say, since our last conversation, I was going to try and slide us on a little bit. There's been some massive announcements in terms of, you know, new trailers, new announcements, new release dates announced as well. So, is there anything mm. from from all the events over the last few weeks that sort of caught your eye the most? Um, E3, I made you know, I made quite a, a, an effort really to watch as much of E3 as I could. Um, you know the, the presentations that were on when I wasn't in bed, but um, I I thought they were all fantastic. I mean, Microsoft's was very very good. Um, Nintendo's was obviously you know obviously fantastic, but I, I came away from E3. It's it's difficult really. I came away from the E3 E3 presentations equal parts excited, equal parts quite muted because um, mm. there were a lot of titles that I expected to be announced i mean forza horizon 5 looks phenomenal um it looks incredible for it to have its own uh, campaign mode i mean playground games masters in their field I, I genuinely can't wait to get my hands on it um there were a lot of games like forza horizon 4 that i kind of expected to be announced so it, it wasn't a surprise it was like wow these look great but it, in you know, years gone by, there were E3 presentations where I'm like, "Wow, check this out! This looks incredible." And there wasn't really a great deal of that. There was a few sort of little, "Ooh, that looks good." Like the um, uh, Nintendo were obviously remaking um, Advance Wars One and Two. I thought, "Wow, that's fantastic!" There is, you know, the studio which did uh, Metroid: Samus Returns, which was the Metroid Two remake on the 3DS. Uh, Mercury Stream in Spain. They are doing Metroid Dread which the trailer suggested is Metroid 5. It had a little uh, splash screen in a similar way to how Metroid Fusion started when it said Metroid 4. That looks fantastic. So that was a, a nice little uh, a nice little surprise. Um, but there, were, there was nothing which, you know, metaphorically made me fall off my chair. It was yeah. more, yeah, that was good. It was, you know, it was, it was a solid good. <laughs> I was just quite happy with it. You know, like, you know, going back to what we just said, everyone's a winner. Um, yeah, but there, but there was nothing there which I thought, wow, you know, where did that come from? The one um, thing that sort of got me very interested is uh, the new IP from Bethesda, the uh, Starfield. Yeah, I mean, one thing I was going to say a moment ago is obviously uh, Sony and Microsoft 
all the acquisitions that they've been having, the current technology that games are built around. The name of the game at the moment is waiting. Mm. Uh, and I think it's such an endurance test. Um, you know, a lot of reports immediately following the uh, the teaser for Starfield said, yeah, don't expect it anytime soon. And I thought, well, yeah, that's obviously going to be the case, but it's going to be phenomenal when it does come out. But yeah, it's difficult to get excited knowing that there's, there's, there's two years minimum for most of these. Well, they've said future. it launches on uh, November next year. But as we all know, that the release dates are, are fickle things nowadays. And so we should probably expect that to be pushed back a little bit. Hopefully yeah. not. Hopefully not. But you know, yeah. if if we take Halo and you know Cyberpunk and and the many 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 titles that were due to be released but pushed back. Um, well, this is it. In, in, I'm going to say, in some regard, I mean, Cyberpunk and Halo Infinite are both sort of two sides of, of how it can pan out. You know, you can have one title that perhaps released a little bit early if sort of reports are to be believed, yeah. um, and then you can have titles that you know showcase their wares via a, a trailer response wasn't as positive perhaps as people had hoped so they've said you know what we're going to go back and we're going to make this great and it's going to release when it's when it's done really uh, yeah. but again you know it's difficult because not all game studios have the option uh, not all game studios have the backing not all game studios have the um uh you know the financial um, sort of situations that would allow time to be a, a you know a commodity that they can use up as much as they want so it, it's a tricky one um one thing weirdly that i am excited for i didn't think i would be is the uh series x and series s ports of uh, microsoft flight simulator oh mate i am so excited for that i've been watching videos of microsoft flight simulator endlessly since it released on pc um, you know, to the extent where I've been showing my in-laws, like, check this out, how many does this look? They're not interested. No. They're not interested in the slightest. But, you know, I, I, it's, a, it's I don't want to say a game as such. It's a, it's a, it's a title. It's an experience. That, yeah, that I, I absolutely want to uh, sort of share with people. But, um, yeah, I'm quite excited for that. And, the, again, you know, hats off to Microsoft. The fact that on, when is it? It's the 27th, I believe. Uh, I might be wrong with that. Towards the end of this month, uh, it's going to be on Game Pass. I've already preloaded it on my console. I'm, yeah. I'm ready. Um, I mean, I don't think it's going to be one for my 52 game challenge because I don't think you can complete it. No. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? We could be the first people to complete it and fly every square inch of the globe. But uh, no, I'm quite excited for that. And it's um... no, it sounds it sounds really good. I mean, in terms of. Um, bringing it to the console, I'll be interested to see how streamlined it is for. For a controller because obviously it is a simulation but it's yeah, yeah. i guess people would regard it as the uh, sort of the top of the tree when it comes oh, to it, simulations. It, yeah it always has been the rolls royce of, of simulations even back um sort of in the windows 95 windows 98 days mm. um but again talking about the complexity of controls you just remember you, you just reminded me rather that you know flight sims on pc in the mid to late 90s did have um, incredibly expensive bespoke controllers that you could invest in, which would I, be like a, a desktop um, sort of mount with all the sort of simulated yeah. controls and things had, like that. I used to live, a, there was a lad who lived a couple of doors down from me and he was into his sims. And this was, this must have been 2000 and 2003, maybe. Yeah, about 2003. And he had the full kit. He had two separate PCs. It was a bit, uh, wealthier than than I was. They had two separate PCs: one for a, <laughs> one for a flight sim and one for a train sim. 
Wow. I love them both. But no, Flight Simulator, it's always been something that's um, that's intrigued me because it's just just a fun fun you thing should... to do. Oh, now, that say... it's, now that it's a completely pinpoint accurate model uh, of Earth, effectively, mm. um, you know, it will take that immersion a lot deeper. I was going to say there's a certain element of uh, the new Microsoft Flight Simulator, which you know we've we've spoken before that I'm an absolute sucker for any showcase of new technology. Um, like I've said to you before, when I was a teenager, even though I had Doom on every single console and every platform available, if it came out on the Game Boy Advance, I had to go out and buy it because mm -hmm. I have to see that running on a handheld. You know, I remember Jack and Daxter on the PS2 having uh, sort of streamed game worlds and no loading times and things like that. I love little technical intricacies of mm -hmm. certain titles and it, I, I love figuring out what they've done and things like that. The, the, the real technical side to it is, is something which is, has always been fascinating to me. Uh, a Microsoft Flight Simulator absolutely falls into that camp. I have to see it for myself. To believe it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it, it's an absolute achievement. Uh, and the studio, I mean, you know, Sobo, I, absolutely, they've done a fantastic job. They really have. Um, but, yeah, not very excited for that Talking one. Talking about a Sobo, sorry. Um, they announced uh, that A Plague's Tale is getting a sequel. Mm. Um, don't know how much of A Plague's Tale you have played. It's a title uh, that really shocked, well, not shocked me as such, but you know, I, 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 not sort of caught it when it was first announced, and then I, it came onto Game Pass, and I was like, I'll give it a try, and I massively enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good story, really good game. Funnily enough, the first one is on uh, PlayStation Plus, the PS5 version, this month. Is it? So it's I will take the plunge because uh, I've not played it. I've uh, obviously, again, going back to E3, the uh, the sequels trailer was something that. You know, caught my eye to the extent where I was like, actually, you know, I need to really go back and have a look at the first game. Yeah, but, it's a um, fantastic game. To be honest, the storyline, as I said, is is um, unique. I think is probably the best way to put it. It's something that yeah, it's fresh. And as gamers, we we all know that you know we've probably played the same story a few times um, over on different games because mm. you know, storylines tend to get repurposed. But yeah, this is. Uh, a very unique storyline. So I'm excited to see what the sequel can bring. Yeah, yeah. I'll uh, I'll definitely be taking the plunge. I might download that later. Um, I'm just thinking again about some of the uh, sort of key moments at E3 which caught my eye. Again, it, it wasn't a secret, but um, the remaster of Sonic Colors, um, mm. it was easily one of the best Sonic games in recent years. Um, and to give that a 4K60 treatment, yeah, quite happy with that. That'll be a definite purchase. A, you know, I've always been a massive fan of WarioWare. Um, mm. Still got my original copy um, on the Game Boy Advance, and my copy of WarioWare. Um, oh, I forgot the name of it. WarioWare Twisted, sorry, um, that I had to get imported from America because it wasn't released in uh, in the UK. But um, yeah, to have a multiplayer co-op WarioWare, absolutely fantastic. Me and my mate Chris, we used to using the Game Boy Player, which was the peripheral for the GameCube, so you could play your Game Boy Advance games on your TV. We used to play WarioWare and throw the controller to each other in between the three, four, five-second minigames. So it would be like, mm -hmm. dun, 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 throw the controller, dun, 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 throw the controller. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll have to reminisce about that and see if it's got online multiplayer, which I don't think it has. I think it's more couch co-op. Uh, I mean, it would be an excuse to sort of drive over and see him. 
But um, yeah, it would be nice to sort of reminisce from uh, 20 years ago. Um, another one as well, obviously, you know, Psychonauts 2 looks amazing. You know, there was no doubt about that, that that was going to be fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, Diablo 2 Resurrected, again. That looks, that looks great, doesn't it? Yeah, I can't wait for that. It looks fantastic. Again, you know, there's, there's a lot there which I keep saying, there's no surprises, but things that I'm, you know, looking forward to nonetheless. Far Cry 6. Yeah. absolute day one for me um back for blood it's going to be on game pass you know as a huge fan of uh, left for dead one and two absolutely getting that um so yeah no these i think genuinely i the only disappointment i had at, at e3 was watching the trailer for age of empires 4 uh and thinking wow this looks amazing you know i was always <laughs> a huge fan of age of empires one and two yeah um as you know i'm not a pc gamer purely because I can't afford it. <laughs> I, yeah, I spend all my money on consoles. Um, and it said, you know, Xbox, blah, blah, blah. It, it sort of falls under the Xbox brand, but it is it is PC mm. only. And yeah. I would like to see more sort of RTSs on the on home consoles because there was a period of time when they were. I mean, you know, we've had, um, uh, you know, Command & Conquer, uh, Red Alert 3 on the Xbox 360. Save. You know, way back when we had Civ. Um, oh well, even recently we've had Civ on sort of the Switch and things like that. I'm going back to Civ Two on the PS One. Oh, Obviously, yeah. you know the you know the the PS One had things like Populous, it had Theme Park, and mm -hmm. I, I, there's obviously a market for it. And I do believe with the increased processing power of modern consoles, something like Age of Empires Four, why can't we have Bluetooth, mouse, and keyboard support? You know, yeah. I'd love to play Age of Empires on my big TV in the living room. No, I I I second that. You know, I've most recently downloaded because it was on Game Pass, uh, Football Manager, for right. the most recent Football Manager on Xbox, and it's the sort of ported um, version from from PC, obviously, but with a controller, it's barely playable. <laughs> oh really? Um, it's just uh, there's so many sort of uh, button combinations and things like that that you need to press just to sort of navigate the menu because then. You know, Football Manager is an intricate. You know, it's a very detailed game. It's, you know, it's 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 with a mouse and keyboard you can easily navigate it, but with a controller, you know, just to get onto one particular part mm. of the menu it takes you extra couple of seconds, and it's you just become frustrated after it. But no, I, I second that. You know, I love RTSs. I love Civ, Age of Empires, uh, Command and Conquer back in the day. So I would love to see a little bit more love for the, uh, mm. the console market when it comes to rts i was going to say i mean the, the the cynic in me would suggest that there is a reluctance for mouse and keyboard support to be you know widespread on consoles purely as a means to protect the pc market mm. again i'm completely making that up and it's just a thought that popped into my head i don't know you if there's any wired. you can play yeah. wired but it's a fact yeah isn't it? yeah it, it's i don't know Maybe we're a dying breed, Paul. Maybe uh, it is all controllers, but who knows? I no, like said, to bring back settlers. <laughs> what was your first settlers? Which one did you play first? Oh God! Mine was uh, mine was settlers. I got settlers two, uh, and it was just oh, it was superb. And I remember playing settlers two to death, and then finding a cheap copy. Uh, it was a PC version of the first game. So I believe, I can't remember the first game did originally launch on PC. I can't remember if it was originally an Amiga game. And I love the first one as well. I mean, it's so antiquated now, and it is a difficult game to go back to, admittedly. Um, but I think the last one I played at the time was three. 
The um, last one I played for a while was the mobile one. All right, okay. I played that quite a lot in college. Right. Um, I have played recently the... I forget, was it for the 10th wedding anniversary or in 20th wedding anniversary? What we're talking about. <laughs> anniversary, no one's getting married. Um, of the remake of Settlers 2. Mm. Uh, and that was, I mean, that is still superb. Well, Ubisoft have got the, is it Anno? I can't remember the name. It's oh, the, the, the Anno and then a different year. Anno yeah, yeah. 14, that something, 16, something. Phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love that to come to console. Yeah, I love stuff like that. Oh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> talking about e3 one thing that i wanted to mention because i know that you and i are both massive massive fans of this uh series of titles uh we've played them over and over and over even though you've not played the most recent one all the way through um is the i'm curious uh, now. the new tiny tina game uh tribes of mildred oh it? of course yeah yeah, mildred, yeah or whatever it's called um what's your thoughts are you excited are you looking forward to it yeah, I, I think more than anything, I was curious where Gearbox were going to go next. Mm. Because I know when Borderlands 3 came out, I mean, Borderlands 3, for what I have played, like I said, I'm only about a third of the way through it, unfortunately. Um, you know, I need to pull my uh, pull my finger out with that one, get you know, get get stuck in. But um, I know when Borderlands 3 first released, you know, a number of critics commented it was a game that played it very safe. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was a Borderlands by numbers in some regards, which isn't necessarily, you know... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't necessarily, you know, it was so, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's a game which is is absolutely stunning and it's a game which was, you know, critically applauded. But one or two comments I remember reading at the time was, yeah, it's a good game. You know, it doesn't necessarily break any massive sort of uh, boundaries when it comes to the series. Yeah. Um, but I suppose in some regards, you know, and at least my opinion is that it didn't need to. You know, if it's not broken, don't fix it. And Borderlands 3 absolutely appeases fans it appeases newcomers and it does what it needs to do and it does it very well but i think more than anything it planted the seed at least in my mind of i wonder where they'll go next you know surely they can't just do borderlands 4 um you know they have to come up with quite an interesting idea and i do think with the the, the tiny tina spin-off i think they've perhaps done that I'm, I, I would like to see some more like, i want to see some gameplay i want to see uh, i want admittedly, to see a, a lot more of it in action admittedly the storyline in in borderlands 3 is is very good um very fresh very organic um and and the two sort of um you know baddies in it work perfectly um they 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 sort of um epitomize the the wit and and, and comedy of the whole borderland series um and you know i know you've not played all the way through and a little bit of a spoiler alert but you know there's definitely going to be a follow-up to that game Mm. Um, with the way it ends. So I think maybe this game, not necessarily calling it filler, not no, at all, because yeah. I know that it is, I know that it's its own title and it's a full title. They've not come out and said it's just a DLC add-on. No, it's, I know what you mean. It, it is always good to give the main series just a bit of breathing room. But I think it's to give the guys who are working on the main series uh, enough time to uh, be able to make it exactly what it is. You know, this game might give that other team an extra two years or so um, to really sort of push the next title on. And, you know, by the time the next Borderlands title comes out, because you look at the gap between um, two you know, three. Borderlands 2 and 3, you know, there mm -hmm. was a console release. Maybe, was it two console releases, actually? Did it come out in the 360 originally? 
yeah, it came out on 360 and PS3, but then uh, Borderlands 3 obviously released at the tail end of the last generation, which is yeah. why it sort of straddled both. So, so, um, so you know, you, you might be thinking, well, there might be another console down the line uh, for the next Borderlands. So, no, I'm, I'm really excited to see where they go with it. Um, a, a complete new spin on it. So I'm, I'm just... I'm going to say, I mean, one of the best things of Borderlands 2 was the Tiny Tina D&D themed, I forget the title of it, the uh, the DLC. Yeah. Sort of, uh, it was absolutely stunning. It was certainly one that sort of stayed in my mind. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree with you with that one. Quite excited for that one. Mm. I'm going to say um, a particular title I'm looking forward to is, well, there's, there's no concrete details as such and it is all merely speculation but it's it's one of these pieces of speculated news and reports which seems to be covered in in, in every major gaming news outlet mm. is uh, ea motives new project reportedly being the long rumored reboot of dead space mm. yes. now you know as well as me i'm doing the 52 game challenge this year and i, I replayed all three of them uh, recently and i just absolutely adore that series you know i bought the concept art book it's just i mean borderlands 3 yeah it has its faults but it is still a game i enjoy um you know i, I have played it co-op but it is a game which i enjoyed playing on my own as a, as a survival horror title it wasn't a game that i personally felt needed co-op and um, but obviously that resonated with some people rumors are suggesting that the team at motive are Effectively going back to basics and taking notes from Capcom's recent remake of Resident Evil 2 and the approach that they've taken with those titles. And obviously, you know, Resident Evil 3, again, slightly different beast made by, a, you know, a different team within Capcom. But the uh, the pinnacle of survival horror remake of recent years is, is absolutely, you know, all eyes on the Resident Evil 2 remake, which... Yeah. I mean, that, that game was absolutely incredible. So, no, that, yeah, if, if there's any sort of... Um, there's any sort of credence with that one i'd be very very happy because that's uh that's something that again would be a definite day one pickup i love that Cap series i think capcom sort of uh has proven to everyone and i think there is a bit of a tide change maybe that you know you don't have to reinvent the wheel with these things you know you don't have to reimagine the titles and even with um you know call of duty modern warfare over the last few years as well you know I think a lot of studios try so desperately to to create something new mm. uh, that they sort of sometimes stray from the path that made them successful in the first place. Well, this is it. I mean, Resident Evil 2, I mean, don't get me wrong, the game itself is an absolute technical marvel, um, and it, it, it's absolutely stunning, and they've done a fantastic job of it. But then, first and foremost, it is a title which fans were asking for, for years upon years mm. upon years. Mm. You know, right from the uh, GameCube era when... Um, obviously, Capcom signed the deal with Nintendo to release uh, a number of exclusive titles on the console, the first of which was the remake of Resident Evil 1. And then it obviously led to Resident Evil 0 and Resident Evil 4. And it was around about that time when people were saying, well, where's Resident Evil 2? Uh, mm -hmm. That is still an incredible title which needs to be remade. Yeah. Uh, and sadly, at the time, they, they just ported the PlayStation versions um, of Resident Evil 2 and Resident Evil 3 across to the GameCube. So they were on there. But, um, you know, similar... Uh, sort of similar to that, Dead Space is a title which is still fondly remembered by those people who it resonated with. Mm -hmm. um, I think EA would absolutely be doing the right thing if that is indeed what they're working on. 
because you know it's not a title which has been forgotten it's a title which you know regularly so you know features in top 10 lists of most requested remakes and also franchises uh, that fans would like to see return and things like that mm. but um oh god the, the, the prospect of dead space running on a ps5 or a series x with ray tracing i mean i've seen a video recently of someone running dead space 3 with uh, a 4k texture pack at a 4k resolution with ray tracing mm. i mean that looks incredible I mean, I just, I can't even begin to think what Motive will do. And Motive are an absolutely fantastic studio in a, in a brilliant position to, to do the series justice. Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's got to happen sometime. And I think it's interesting as well, because we're seeing so many remasters recently. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's a massive trend and it's obviously proven to be massively successful because it's what people want, you know. Nostalgia sells. People love these titles for a reason and giving them a bit of an update because sometimes, you know, I've done it many times. Vice City, for example, I'll use Vice City as an example. You know, I absolutely adore that title and I've played it many times over, but it's becoming more and more difficult to play because mm. we're sort of going so far into the future technically um, that going back to, you know, what was it, 2003 tech, <laughs> um, it's a hard pill to swallow sometimes and if especially for new generations you know if you give if you give someone who's who's relatively new to gaming maybe yeah younger than myself and and you if you gave them vice city they would be looking at it like it's some sort of art you know uh you know I think, some sort of ancient sort of game where yeah i think this is the game. um no i think this is the, the perhaps the justification for you know from the ground remakes in that yes it will resonate with ex the existing fan base and the people who that particular title resonated with back at the time uh, you know back in the day but at the same time it'll appeal to a you know a new audience as well because that that like, as you've said you know that that is the difficulty with perhaps you know re-releasing original titles with just a spit shine but maintaining sort of you know the same mechanics or the same ui or the same sort of mm. uh, the, you know the same gameplay feel to it because there are some games which you know, I used to play in my youth. I used to play, you know, sort of 20 years ago or whatever, which I would still probably say are some of my all-time favourite games. But as you've said, to revisit them, they feel a bit clunky. They feel a little bit stiff. And I th as you've said, you know, as, um, you know, technology's improved, the word I always used to use with my mate, um, sort of Chris, who we, we, we've spoke about this before, is that we've become spoiled as gamers purely yeah. as technology's improved. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there, there's, there's certain elements of gaming that we don't have to work for as hard as we perhaps used to. And I'm not comparing it to sort of like hard graft. You know, we didn't have to work, work for it. It's no. just, you know, you, you overcame certain limitations to uh, certain mechanics within a game, whereas now games are such a, you know, generally such a, a well-refined and well-oiled machine that, as you've said, to revisit classics that perhaps don't benefit from, um, you know, innovations which have come over the years is, is sometimes a little jarring and a little antiquated. But um, as you've said, you know, another one that would benefit from a remake or indeed just revisiting Vice City, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, is, is is indeed that title. I'd love the new GTA to be set in a particular time era. Uh, I mean, again, you know, oh, I mean, it's an absolute pipe dream, but I love GTA London set in the 60s. Yeah. I, I just don't think it, I just don't think we'll ever see a remake of that. Uh, but, but Vice City, absolutely. Vice City. Yeah. Because like you said, it is a title which, you know, it was the first GTA spin-off 
sort of you know released on uh, sort of you know a triple a spin-off i know there was a few sort of handhelds and things like that and um, which really showed how cool that game could be yeah i mean G gta 3 was fantastic i mean me and me and my brother used to fight for the ps2 controller over that game but when vice city came out listening wow. to night nurse in that sports car <laughs> I absolutely loved that game. It blew my mind, that game, when I first got it. Admittedly, I got it when I was a little bit too young to play it, but um, that's that's another thing. But, um, no, I, I think, yeah, I think, you know, we, we, you and I have gone from the likes of Croc, you know, on the PS1 to 4K ray tracing, you know, OLED TVs in the space of 20 years. So it's it's come on absolute leaps and bounds, and I'm excited for whatever's going to be in the next twenty years. To be honest, it's going to be, mm. you know, I was say, as, to, yeah. Yeah, this is the problem. As a gamer, I now do feel like a pensioner. I do feel like <laughs> shaking my fist at the emerging generation of gamers and saying, "You've got no idea what it was like." Yeah, you, you don't know what loading times are. You never had to blow on a cartridge to get rid of the dust that wasn't there in the first place. You didn't have to deal with the awful controls of Tomb Raider. Yeah, you didn't have to hold a controller that had the dimensions of a pack of, <laughs> pack of cards and dug into your palm hands. These days, I'm not going to pick up a Mega Drive controller and think it's the most ergonomic thing you've ever held. I did at the time Xbox when I was eight years old. Oh, God. The original Xbox controller was like holding a dinner plate. It was. <laughs> you know massive. what? I, 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 take, I take issue with that. When the original Xbox controller came out, which has obviously over the years been affectionately nicknamed the Duke, mm. for someone who has freakishly big hands. I was going to say, you've got hands like barn doors, haven't you, mate? Oh, I am a fast swimmer. But they, honest to God, it, it was the, the, the most comfortable controller. But. Yeah, it wasn't obviously feasible um, to to appeal to um, <laughs> the, those genetically different, shall we say, from the rest of us. But uh, yeah, I know and I was ten uh, years younger than you when I held it, so you know, oh my, God. so what we're talking, yeah, like, yeah, it's difficult. Yeah, it'd be a case of resting it on your lap and holding each joystick with a clenched palm. Yeah, hitting the <laughs> hitting the like with your forehead. <laughs> But um, no, it's it's uh, it's exciting to see all the all the remasters that are happening. Um, Is there a particular title which you would, you know, I know we've just mentioned briefly, sort of Vice City, for example. But hmm. is there is there a game at the top of the list that you would absolutely love to see being rebuilt from the ground up by a talented team? Yeah, I think we've discussed this before. Admittedly, um, it it has to be Getaway. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to see that. And, you know, you, you hinted on um, Grand Theft Auto London. You know, GTA, maybe not in the most recent years, but originally was such a a, a game that was built in Britain, effectively. Um, it's it's such a shame that they don't make a, a version that's based in London or you, know, you could go anywhere, really, and it would make a cracking game. Um, but, you know, Getaway at the time was the closest thing we got to... Uh, you know, a British, well, as its location be, being based in Britain, uh, GTA. Um, yeah, I mean that was released. At, that was that was one of those games that was absolutely released at the right time. You know, it was on the the the, the era of lock, stock, and snatch. Mm -hmm. It was quite you know entertaining and quite cool uh, mm -hmm. to you know be this Cockney British gangster 
Um, and it absolutely played up to that stereotype. And, you know, in a similar fashion to some regards, <clears throat> excuse me, that, you know, GTA London with its swinging 60s mm. um, aesthetic was released, you know, not a million miles away from uh, sort of Austin Powers and things like that. And so yeah. that became sort of the perception of sort of 60s London in that mm. it was swinging, it was sort of, you know, um, quite, all that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, God, the soundtrack to GTA London. I used to yeah. just put the CD in my CD player as a kid. And it was so good. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely fantastic. I mean, for me, this oh, there's just so many games. <clears throat> there's a particular game that I would love to see come back. Um, and I'd love to see, you know what, failing just a remake, just a re-release. Um, but I know the rights are here, there, all over the place. But um, obviously way back when, when it's Software were you know de uh, developing doom and quake and things like that so we're talking sort of you know early to mid 90s um studio which you know at the time were effectively their sister studio worked with them very closely um built a name for themselves producing fantastic first person experiences using um, a lot of technology from its software was raven software you know, obviously now part of Activision, um, <clears throat> play a big part in the you know the creation of the Call of Duty series. But um, yeah, one of the one of the games that I'd love to see is Heretic. Obviously, its follow up Hexen is a game which you know got a lot of attention and has got a lot of attention over the years. But I really, really liked the original Heretic. I mean, you know, at the time it was effectively you know in some regards a slightly reskinned Doom. But there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. You know, it had simple inventory management. And it's just one of those games that the rights are split all over the place. I believe right. like it, it's got a hand in it, Raven's got a hand in it, and you know, by default, Activision's got a hand in it, but Bethesda might also do. And it's one of these games that sadly, because of red tape, will probably never be seen again. Yeah. Uh, which is quite sad, really. Um, because I, I as you know, now I'm a huge fan of first person shooters. You know, I've seen first-person shooters from the early 90s become what they are today, and every new first-person shooter was just an exciting moment. Um, and Raven, absolutely, everything they touched was fantastic, and everything they still touched, to be fair, was amazing. But, you know, some of the games they've created over the years, like, you know, Soldier of Fortune, and like I've mentioned, Hexen and things like that, superb titles. Um, I mean, that brings me on to one thing that I did want to mention. Um, there is a documentary on Kickstarter called um, First Person Shooter, which is going to be a documentary right. of the genesis and development and evolution of the first person shooter. It looks incredible. I mean, they've posted a uh, just over four minute teaser trailer and it is just a who's who of first person shooter titles. And it was quite fun to just go through it and think, well, that's Halo, that's Bioshock, that's this, mm -hmm. that's that. Um, yeah, absolutely right up my street. So that was a definite um, sort of back with that one. But, um, yeah, keep your eye out for that one. Quite excited for that. I do like a good video game documentary. Yeah, I do as well. It, they don't get as much as they should do, uh, admittedly. You see, it, I, video game documentaries are similar to football documentaries. Uh, they're very few and far between. And sometimes they're, doing, they're done well. Sometimes they're done quite poorly because it's, it's you know, they'll sometimes chuck in a journalist who knows nothing about video games. And it's like, mm. you know, they're trying to interview people you know developers or, or you know superstars in the industry and, and they're interviewing them like you know they're some sort of rare animal 
Uh, I was going to say that, I mean, two, um, you know, notable documentaries, which, you know, are actually of some very good worth. Um, obviously, Netflix, Netflix rather, have got uh, high scores, mm-hmm. uh, which is obviously the documentary that they put on, was it mid last year, I believe? Um, but then also From Bedrooms to Billions, the trilogy yeah. of documentaries um, that they did. Obviously, the first one chronicles the rise and fall, figuratively, of the UK games industry. Obviously, I'm not saying the UK games industry crashed. It was sort of the, the rise and fall of the bedroom coder and how it mm-hmm. became quite uh, business-like as you know Japanese and American publishers and things like that. And it became a little bit more of a mixed market uh, rather than being a, you know, a small independent team. It all became quite com- uh, commercialised. That's a fascinating documentary. Uh, the follow-up, which was called The Amiga Years, again, um, I did not admittedly grow up with an Amiga. However, it's a platform that I've grown to really, really like. I now own four Amigas because it's just <laughs> a platform which is, it's just something so appealing about it. And again, that documentary, the the team which pioneered the technology behind that platform, uh, the, every interview with them is just endearing. And it's just such a human struggle, such a human journey that they went on. Um, and then the most recent one, was the yeah, from bedrooms to billions the PlayStation Revolution, and again, it's the launch of the PS One, the launch of the original PlayStation, and how it um, appealed to like the aging sixteen um, bit audiences as they become you know were becoming teenagers, and you know a lot of market research informed the approaches that they took in terms of being cool and edgy and pine, you know, and, and uh, partnering up with you know like music artists and showcasing. Um, the console running games such as Wipeout in uh, you know raves and stuff like that. That's amazing. And there's, I mean, there's like a whole uh, chapter on Nick Rose, which was obviously um, a special PlayStation that you could buy, and it, you know, it allowed you to make make your own games. And you know, famously, a lot of them were released on official PlayStation magazine demo discs. You know, remember some of them fondly, like Cone Man, um, still remember them really well. But um, no, they're, they're yeah, definitely some of the documentaries which. Yeah, if if you've not seen them, definitely worth a watch. Definitely worth a watch. Sweet. Well, I don't have anything else to talk about. Any uh, interesting bits? So no, I, I sort of feel we've we've slipped into nostalgia again. Yeah, as we always do. <laughs> so uh, yeah, thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you so much for making it to the end of the podcast. Remember, we don't only make it an amazing podcast, but we're also recruiters within the video games industry. We work with studios throughout the UK, Europe, the US and Canada, so if you're looking for that next move or a new challenge, please get in touch using the contact details found in the podcast description. Cheers.